Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Oh, quiet group, yes. They're tired. They're going to get tireder in a minute. Uh, I do want to correct one thing. Uh, the prayer time, as some of you know, the monthly community prayer time, which is this Wednesday, we've moved that to 7 uh, from 6. The hope being that those of you that perhaps have work issues, that you'll have a little more time to get there. So it won't be at 6 this Wednesday night. It will be at 7 when you walk in the doors uh, of this building. There'll be a sign telling you which room to go to. If you would stand for our scripture reading, it comes today from Joshua chapter 14 verses 6 through 15. We're doing this series this summer on soul-stirring stories, and I have to tell you, this guy Caleb stirs my soul in ways that I can't even describe, but will do my best to try to describe today. So I'm going to read a bit of his account from Joshua 14 verses 6 through 14. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenite, Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Then the land had rest from war. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, as I said, one of the characters in the Bible who stirs my soul, stokes my vision for what life is all about and supposed to be about, and literally calls out to some of the deepest parts of who I am, is the man we just read about whose name was Caleb. Caleb stirs my soul because he was a lifelong God pursuer with an unshakable commitment to edgy and courageous faith, even at the youthful age of 85. A bit of his history. After the Israelites were liberated from slavery in Egypt, they walked across the desert, the idea being they would head to the promised land and begin the slow conquest of the promised land. And in Numbers 13, they are on the verge 
of entering the promised land and finally fulfilling God's promise made to Abraham so many years earlier, the promise being in Genesis 12 to give Israel their own land. Caleb was 40 when he was on the edge of the promised land. And when they gathered there on the verge of entering this new land, Moses, who was the leader of Israel at the time, sent Caleb and Joshua and ten other spies across the Jordan River and into the promised land to explore the land, to see what it was like, and to make note of what obstacles were waiting for them. And the spies came back and they reported what they saw. And two of the twelve, Caleb and Joshua, said these words, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the other ten spies said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And the other ten spies went about spreading fear and dissent in the rest of the Israelite people. And so Caleb and Joshua stood up and addressed the people again and said these words, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the people resisted. They let fear determine their decision. And they ended up rejecting God's command to inhabit the land And they rebelled against their leaders. And as discipline for their unfaithfulness, God vowed not a single one of those Israelites would see the promised land. Over a certain age, they were not going to ever see the promised land, but instead they would wander in the desert for 40 years. One year for every day those spies were in the promised land, exploring the land. And God's intent was that over a certain age you'll wander in the desert until all of them die off and then maybe we'll take the promised land. But in all of this, God saw Caleb's different heart. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land and his descendants will inherit it. So now fast forward to our scripture reading from Joshua 14. Those who were afraid to enter the promised land are long dead. Many battles have already been fought. The nation of Israel is gradually settling in the land God promised them. And in our reading, Caleb comes to his old friend Joshua and he says these words, I was 40 years old when Moses sent me to explore the land and I brought back a report, I love this phrase, according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me. That day, you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out. Just as he said, I mean, you just have to love this guy. You're not alive if you don't love this guy. These are soul stirring words from an 85 year old dude 
who still is ready to roll. He's ready to follow God up the steepest hill, and he's ready to follow God down into the deepest valley. Whatever opponent stands in his path, whether it be man or beast, Caleb is confident God is with him. And God will empower him. See, Caleb is a man's man. Caleb is a real man. Caleb is an authentic human being. He is the embodiment of what it actually looks like to live with faith in God. He refused to lay off the gas even though he was 85 years old. He refused to just coast to the finish line. He wanted to roll some more. So as you may know, when we come to our communion Sunday, because we think the table is so important and we think children are so important, they are part of our service when we gather for communion. They're here throughout the service. And so I want to invite children. I'm not going to I'm going to put an age on it, but if you want to break the rule, go for it. So I think it is up through fifth grade. If you're here all the way into middle school and you want to come I'll invite you to come and join me right down front here. Don't be bashful. Come one, come all, or come none, and we'll get done quicker. But would encourage you to come and just sit on the floor here. And we're going to have a chat for a minute about this guy, Caleb. Brandy, you sure? You're good? All right. That'd be a long way down for you to sit, right? It's the getting up. It's not the sitting. Yeah. Speaking of old men. Anyway, the... Um, <laughs> if you were to sit somewhere else, you'd take less heat, I'm telling you. So this guy, Caleb, I can't tell you how important this guy is in the Bible, how important this guy is to me, and how I think for you guys, Caleb is such an example to follow. And sometimes I suspect, I know it's true of me, but sometimes we forget the people in the Bible were actually people. They were part of families. They studied their schoolwork. They played games with their friends. They told scary stories with each other as they looked up at the night sky. They had fun together. They cried together. They laughed together. They did chores they didn't want to do. They were real, actual people. And you may have had a person come and ask you, maybe a grandparent or somebody, and they'll say to you, so what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? And a good answer to that question is this. I don't know what I want to do, but I want to be like this guy Caleb in the Bible. See, young Caleb, now he's not young to you. He was 40. I mean, that just seems ancient, doesn't it? 40 years old? No. So 40 is young. You'll learn that with every passing year. But 40 is young, right? And he was young. There was young Caleb in the Bible at the age of 40. But then we read in the same story about this guy who's 85 years old. Can you imagine that? It's older than dirt. I mean, that is just old, 85. So you got young Caleb at 40, and we got old Caleb at 85. And the thing about both of them is that young Caleb was a man who had confidence in God. He trusted God no matter what he was facing. And then old Caleb, 85 years old still had confidence in God and he trusted God 
no matter what he was facing. Well, it's fine to, for me to sit here and tell you this, but we thought it might be fun to kind of hear from a imaginary young Caleb and old Caleb and see what they have to say for themselves. So I want you to look right there, and here comes young Caleb. Let me introduce myself to you. My name's Caleb. And I want to tell you my story because I think it might be a blessing for you to hear. In fact, I think some of you may even need to hear it. You might be wondering if all of the things you have heard about God are true. Can he really be trusted? Is he as loving and as good as people say? Listen to my story. It's a story about Slaves and freedom, about promises and doubt, about second and third and even fourth chances. You won't be wondering about God for very long. I am an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. My story starts with me being born as a slave in Egypt. It's all I ever knew. And most of my life was spent working for nothing living in fear of our Egyptian masters. My people always talked about God's promises of freedom for us slaves. And that he would someday lead us into our own land. I didn't really think it would ever happen. Slavery, like I said, it was everything I had known. I used to lie awake at night, wondering what freedom would even be like. I imagined a feast spread out with everything I love to eat. Meat, pomegranates, fudge shickles, and figs. Mm. I imagined a palace to live in, like the one I worked outside of day in and day out. It would have endless gardens and fountains and places for me just to sit when I felt like it. Because most of all, I imagined a break from the back-breaking work and the hatred of the Egyptians. A few years ago, I met a man named Moses. He spoke like no one I had ever heard before. He spoke of this freedom as if it were something that will happen. Not just a dream that we wished might come true. He told us of God's plan to free us from Egypt. That was all I needed. The more Moses and his brother Aaron talked about freedom and told me about God's promises for us, his chosen people, the more I knew deep down that this would come true in a way that I couldn't even explain it. I just knew it. Many people didn't, though. They thought that Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, would never let us go. But finally, on a night full of questions and confusion, we escaped Egypt once and for all. We were all scared, mostly because we didn't know what would come next. But I think God gave me a special gift, a gift of faith. God kept his promise, just like I knew he would. He brought us out of Egypt, 
parted the sea for us to cross. And, we, and, and we're now here in the desert waiting for God to keep the next part of his promise, our very own land. Many doubt it, but I know differently. Once we were out of Egypt, Moses chose 12 of us and sent us as spies into the promised land, a land called Canaan. One spy came from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. I was chosen from my tribe, the tribe of Judah. I think Moses knew, really, that I actually believed that God was going to do this. That he was going to come through for us. A lot of people didn't. They said they loved God, but let me tell you, it didn't always look like it. We Israelites are famous for complaining, and complain we did. We complained that there wasn't any meat to eat. We complained we had to eat the same thing over and over. We grumbled about being in the desert and facing our enemies. We complained about anything and everything. No water. Moses isn't doing a great job. And on and on. But back to that trip to Canaan. I I wanted to go and tell you about being a spy because I loved it. We went to the promised land to determine what kind of people lived there. Oh, my goodness. This place was amazing. We were there for 40 days, and it was like no place I had ever seen or even imagined before. There were rivers flowing there, vineyards and valleys. There were flocks of sheep and goats and cattle grazing as far as the eye could see. There were grapes so big. It took two of us, one pole, to carry a bunch of it back to the land. I had never seen fruit like this. It was truly the land of plenty. I was so excited to bring the good news back, but there was a problem, a small problem, a a big problem, kind of a giant problem, actually. It was the people living there. Some of them were giant-sized, and the cities that they had built had big walls around them, and they were really strong. It looked like they were going to be impossible to defeat. Here's the thing, though. I knew these giants... And these cities didn't stand a chance. I knew nothing could stand against God. When we got back to our people who were camping in the desert outside of Canaan, my friend Joshua and I were so excited to tell them everything that we had seen. We talked so fast people could barely even understand us. We couldn't get it out in time. They, the, the other spies, though, they hung back. And, and when they finally spoke up... There was such fear in their voices that it took me by surprise. They spoke of us being like grasshoppers compared to the Canaanites. And they told our people that we didn't stand a chance against them. Joshua and I argued with them. This is what God has promised us. He told us we were going to have this land. He has brought us out of Egypt and he didn't bring us here to die. He brought us here to give us the victory. We begged them to have faith in God. But our people were not convinced. They had let fear creep into their hearts. And now that fear had grown into giant-sized. Things started to happen very quickly then. I heard shouts of stone them. And I think they actually would have killed Joshua and I if Moses hadn't been there. 
the mob began to demand a new leader. Someone who would take them back to Egypt. Back to Egypt. Can you believe that? Back to slavery and oppression. The feeling of hatred every moment. Well, you might imagine God wasn't happy with what he was hearing either. He told Moses he would destroy all of us with a plague. But Moses pleaded with God to spare us. To show his love and power by forgiveness instead of destruction. Here's the thing. God listened to Moses. He agreed to allow us to enter the promised land. But because of my people's lack of faith, no one who was over 20 would see Canaan. The words God told Moses next were the best words I've heard in my entire life. But my servant Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me with his whole heart, and I will bring him into the land he scouted. And his children, they will inherit it. When I heard this, it was like the sun broke through the clouds after months of rain. God had noticed my faith, and I would be rewarded. So this is where my chapter of the story ends. Because of my people's lack of faith, we were condemned to wander in the desert outside of the promised land for another 40 years. All those who didn't believe God could win and threaten to kill Joshua and I, and who demanded a new leader, they were going to die in the, out here in this terrible desert. Joshua and I are the only spies with the faith that God would keep his promises. And we are the only ones God is going to allow us to see this promised land. Well, my friends, my story continues. It has been 40 years since we last spoke. I'm now an old man. But I had to come back to tell you of God's faithfulness and of His promises kept. The past years have been spent wandering in the desert, just as God said. Most of my friends and family are dead. Even our leader Moses is dead. They feared change. Wanted things to stay the same. But God has shown me over the years that is foolish. Change will happen. But to have God by my side through every change, that is real stability. He has been faithful to all his promises. And today is the day his promise made just to me has been kept. Remember all those years ago 
He promised to allow us to enter the promised land. Because I believed He would stand with us and help us to defeat our enemies. Well, today, after 40 long years, my people, God's people, entered the land God has for us. My old friend Joshua was chosen as the leader of the Israel uh, Israelites after Moses died. And you know, he is a man of obedient to God. He has given me the land we explored all those years ago as my home for my own family, just as God had planned. It's not just handed to me. There are still giants to be fought to claim my land. He has given me my land we explored all those years ago as a home for my own family. But again, as I say, I have to fight for it. Some of the younger Israelites, they were afraid. But I'm old enough to remember that God is at work no matter what men say. And I love to tell the story of God's promises kept. It's why I'm here today. I cannot let the next generation, my children and their children, forget my story. Forget God's story. I have been bold in my life because of my great God. Not because of my great faith. So today as I enter the promised land praising God, I ready myself for battle beside God. Every day I have to choose to speak up for what I know is right. In spite of all those who speak against me. God has taught me the lessons of faith and the boldness in Him. Have I ever doubted? Ever feared? Of course. But each time I have, God has been right beside me, assuring me that He has not forgotten me, showing His love and mercy over and over. Today, I hope you learn from my life that you will be bold in God's strength instead of your own. That you will speak the truth even if you are the only one. And that your faith in our great God will grow as He shows you His faithfulness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this great story of this man who trusted you. And my prayer for each person down here on the floor is that throughout their lives, they will trust you. They will put their confidence in you. They will make friends and you will bring friends into their lives 
who trust you and can help them grow in their faith. We pray as a church for your protection and guidance and power to be upon our children, that they may walk in your ways and demonstrate to us what a life of faith is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go back to your seats. Bring this whole story into our situation, if, we, if I can, to take a few minutes and talk about what I see in Caleb as three soul-stirring attributes that I think apply to us today and hopefully challenge us today. And the first soul-stirring attribute that is very evident in Caleb is faith-inspired courage. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24, God is speaking, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. From our scripture reading, Caleb says, My fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And also from our scripture reading, So Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Caleb is different. He marched to God's drum. God described Caleb as having, quote, a different spirit who follows me wholeheartedly. Throughout his life, he had this abiding confidence in God. And that is the real bottom line definition of faith. Faith is confidence in God. We say trust in God, but trust is one of those perhaps tired religious words worn out by overuse. Faith is confidence in God. We have experiences every day where confidence in something results in tangible and concrete action. We sit down in a chair like you did this morning because we're confident it will hold us. So our confidence it will hold us produces the action to sit. When the light turns green at the stoplight, we press the accelerator because we are confident the cross-traffic light is red. Less confident, but still confident, those at it will stop. Similarly, the lack of confidence or the lack of faith equally produces tangible and concrete action. When young people are learning to drive, their parents will often bring them to a place like the Oak Hills Church parking lot so they can practice in a safe environment without the chaos of a typical road in order to increase their confidence. So they're ready to take on the chaotic roads and freeways. The other day, I almost backed into one of these practicing drivers in the Oak Hills Church parking lot. It was 100% this kid's fault, but we'll move on. (laughs) Faith, so faith is not fuzzy. Faith is not out there somewhere. When we say a person of faith, we don't mean a person for whom belief is somehow trapped in their head. Faith is not belief Divorced from our action. Faith is not a head game. The Bible says demons believe there is a God. The devil himself believes there is a God. But when we have confidence in something, or faith as we're calling it, action follows. And when we don't have confidence, action follows. Action and faith are like our two feet. When we put one forward, 
The other one then follows. They pull each other along. So when the Israelites reached the edge of the promised land and heard about these powerful people who lived there and the many challenges they would face, they were afraid. They did not believe God was able to sustain them and they showed their lack of confidence by refusing to enter the land. Now, if they were asked, well, do you believe in God? They would have said, of course we do. But their actions showed what they really believed. They lacked confidence in God. The God they said they believed in was not the God who could deal with powerful opponents. But Caleb, as he puts it in his own words, brought back a report according to his convictions. I love that. He had confidence God was with him. And his confidence in God inspired his courage to enter the land, even though everyone else was shrinking back in fear. Caleb stepped toward the challenge because his confidence was in God. He was confident God was with him. So there was no reason to be paralyzed by fear. And even at the youthful age of 85... Though the opponent is big and the opponent is strong, Caleb is confident in God and courageous about what lies ahead. See, there's an inseparable relationship between faith and fear. To be clear on this, confidence in God should not produce careless and absurd decisions and then God blaming when those things don't work out. That's not faith. That's not confidence in God. But confidence in God inspires the courage to step toward the fear. Confidence in God, faith, means fear does not paralyze. And I would suggest to us our fears, whatever they may be in detail, might be precisely the point where God is inviting us to step forward with courage. Whatever fear comes to your mind, however small it may seem to you or big, Whatever context this fear manifests, I would suggest might be where God is inviting you to step forward with courage. Confident. He'll help us deal with those fears. Think about this concept of promised land for a moment. For Caleb, it's what he called in his words, the hill country. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land of goodness, of freedom, of joy, of delight. And at the risk of reaching too far with the metaphor, perhaps the promised land for us, the hill country for us, the good land for us, is the healing of deep wounds inflicted early in our lives. How good it would be to live now, free of the pain we incurred back then. Maybe the promised land for us is the gradual growth of our marriage relationship that for years has struggled and has just kind of hovered in the realm of below average. Maybe the new land for us is the renewal of our mind into a whole new way of thinking about who we are and who God is. If you will, a renewed mind that flows with milk and honey instead of with guilt and shame. Thoughts of God's grace and God's love for us instead of thoughts of how we don't measure up. 
Maybe the promised land for us is to abandon the fear project. Abandon our devotion to hiding and protecting and holding back and playing it safe and clinging to our fears. Something came to my mind related to my own journey just recently. Life happens, as you know, different seasons, different phases. And for reasons that are not important in my life over the last several months, the past has come back to me. And important relationships and what's happened in some of those relationships has resurfaced as a present tense issue for me to interact with. And in particular, the shaping from those relationships that took place in me and have constructed and cultivated who I am today, both in positive ways and in negative ways. More specifically, I've been aware again of the open wounds in my soul. And I've been spending time with a counselor to dig into these things, to be led toward these things, to move toward the pain. And I got to tell you, it's really hard. It is a return to agony. And who wants to do that? There have been these visceral tears coming from I don't know where, embedded deep in my blood, deep in my guts, and deep in my DNA, just waiting for an occasion for a space to open, and they come like a flood. But through all of this, there's this confidence. God's hand is in the process. God is doing this to me. He's inviting me right into the mouth of the fear. And in all of that, there's just been this phrase. This idea, this invitation that I think is from God and it's just said, trust me as you venture into this. Faith inspires courage. And as Caleb demonstrates so amazingly, faith-inspired courage is not a young man's game or a young person's game or what young people should have. Faith-inspired courage is what those who follow Jesus should have, young and old and everything in between. Confidence in God, then, should not decrease with the passing of the years. It should increase. It should expand. So the older we are, the wilder we become. The riskier we become. The more chances we take, the older we become. And the more willing and pliable and available we are to step out toward the fear because we have confidence in God. Second attribute that stirs the soul in this guy, Caleb, is he's got a hope-filled perspective. Caleb was surrounded by people who systematically outlined all the reasons why they shouldn't or couldn't enter the promised land. And Caleb kept reminding them that God was on their side. And he would not let them down. He kept challenging people to put their confidence in God and follow him and do what he had told them to do. People kept identifying the obstacles. What about this? What about that? And Caleb kept pointing to God. Look at him. See, he's got this contagiously hopeful outlook. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. We can almost see his wife and grown children standing behind him, rolling their eyes and waving their arms and shaking their heads and mouthing the words, No, he isn't. 
But how can we not love this guy who just exudes such a hope-filled perspective? So many today are cynical about life and relationships. Age has a way of fostering cynicism. The older we get, it seems to me, the more we employ cynicism to explain why we are the same as we were 20 years ago. Real change is the fantasy of the romantics. We always are who we are. We become cynical about faith, cynical about church, and especially cynical about genuine, heart-level, gut-level transformation. Maybe even more common are the complaint addicts among us. Nothing is what it should be. Nothing is what it could be. Their perspective on most things is infused with criticism and complaint and the scarcity of never quite good enough. Caleb had a hope-filled perspective about life and God and the various challenges along the way. And a hope-filled perspective is contagious. It changes a family culture. It changes an office. It changes a team. It changes a small group. It changes a church and it changes a marriage. And when I read about this 85-year-old approaching the present with a hope-filled perspective, breathing hope into others, I want to be that guy. I love that this 85-year-old guy wants his little slice of the promised land to be, I'm not sure if you caught it or not, but he wants it to be the hill country. 85 and still climbing hills. Aching knees, sore back, still climbing hills. Still taking on opponents who occupy the higher ground. Don't do that. You're dead meat. 85-year-old who's experienced all the agonizing contradictions of this life, but still ready to climb another hill, ready to fight another battle. Hopeful. Because he's confident in God. So I have a practice for each one of us to try for one week. One week. Two words. To recall the next time criticism, critique, or complaint start rising in our minds or coming out of our mouths. Here's the practice. Two words to recall. Stop it. Why? Because we are God's beloved daughters and sons and we serve a God who reigns in goodness and power and righteousness and nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing happens outside of his knowledge. We have been rescued from a destructive life of sin. We have been brought into his family. We are eternal beings with a glorious future in his exquisite universe. We will never ever die or cease to exist. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing can separate us from His love. Everything works together for those who love Him. So our lives and our future can be and should be infused with hope and hope and more hope. No matter our circumstance. Third attribute of this guy, he had a kingdom-oriented finish. 85 and still going. 85 and still on the cutting edge of faith. 85 and still ready to follow his God up the hill country. 85 and oriented squarely toward and firmly in the kingdom of God and the purposes of the kingdom of God. 85 and not ready to retire. 
And Caleb offers, I think, a much-needed challenge to the American vision of retirement. Our bodies and our minds and energy levels and even desires will probably one day result in working less to earn a living. Maybe we will work less. Retirement defined this way, as you well know, is a rather unique and rare benefit to those who live in relative wealth. But most of the world knows nothing of this. And even here, it is not for all of us this kind of retirement because we will not have the means. But for some of us, the temptation of retirement will come eventually. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, devotion to him is to shape our vision of retirement. So while retirement might mean working less to make a living, it also means orienting more toward the kingdom to make an eternal difference. The most kingdom active and spiritually vibrant and self-sacrificial should be those who by God's grace no longer face the daily grind and burden of constantly working to make ends meet. Give me this hill country is the biblical cry of the aging and the retired. Translation, what's next, God? Certainly not just to eat, drink, and be merry. But to rest, yes, to revel, yes, in the goodness of God and demonstrate His reality and His goodness to a desperately needy world. So my charge to those of us who are older and nearing retirement is simply this. Now is the time for you to begin new ministries. Now is the time for you to resist the temptation of, quote, I did my time. I served when I was younger. Find ways to pour yourself out in service to the king and in service to other. Now is the time for you to creatively imagine what hill country God is calling you up into. Now is the time to invest in His kingdom purposes. Now is the time to sacrificially give your money to kingdom purposes. And now is the time to pray and discern and enter the next kingdom adventure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we bump into these people who trusted you and followed you and had their confidence in you. And may it be said of us that we trusted you and had our confidence in you. And we followed you up steep hills. And we followed you into deep valleys when we were 40 when we were 55, when we were 85, as long as you give us breath. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Valerie prayed earlier.